0: Hi, this is Tina Spangler with TLC Barrels, and welcome to this week's Q and A, number seventy-five, on January eighteenth, twenty twenty-two. Welcome new members Jalen and Kelly from Florida, and um, I hope everybody's been watching in the group. There's been a few challenges last week and this week for skill and mindset, so pay attention to that as well as your video tips on. Monday, we do the uh, wins and personal best. So you can comment and send your videos to me on what you're proud of, a win or a personal best that you had. Um, then Tuesday is usually some sort of groundwork video tip. Wednesday is a dry work or drill video tip. Thursday is a barrel racing or pole bending tune up or uh, training tip. And then Friday is usually something on mental game and the weekend everybody's off competing. So um, pay attention in the group. You may have to scroll backwards to find the post. Um, You can always use the search box to look up anything you are wanting, challenges, uh, rate issues on first or anticipation on second, mental game. Um, Use the search box. It's either a magnifying glass or a search box at the top of the group page and you can search for anything you can also go to the members only website and look up any topic you want or reach out to me and I'll be happy to point you in the right direction or um, answer your questions in the Q&A's weekly as well as send you the video tips that go along with it so um, let's see here we had a lot of personal bests come in for the weekend, so that was awesome. The list that only had like three names on it now has like 15 names on it. So I'm really proud of everybody who had a personal best this weekend or a win. There were some really awesome ones. Amy and Eli got um, 1D third last weekend and then 2D first this weekend. So they're doing awesome. Um, Mac and Suspicious won the open 2D second and youth 1d second um actually i think you won the 2d open first and then youth uh was uh let me see here i'll have to read my notes better um (laughs) yeah okay it was you won 2d second open and then 1d second uh in the youth and that was at the mock in a far run um at crystal river florida Uh, Barbara and Georgia and Christine you're meeting goals on your trio of horses each so that's awesome some of you got out there and was really proud of things Katrina and and Sinatra uh, Caitlin and Goose you're just making really nice uh, progress with your horses Uh, Lily and Joker at a a jackpot uh, third in the 1D Madeline Cinch you had a personal best time as well as winning your class um Lisa and Teresa got out there to compete. Martine got out there to compete. I can't believe you girls went out in that wind and rain and cold weather. Um, So good for you. Way to cowgirl up. So um, no fair weather barrel racers here. So there was quite a few. I think I did about 20 videos so far and I have about five more to go. Not all of them are shared in the group. Remember, it's an option if you want to have it shared in the group or not. That's totally up to you. Um, if you do share them in the group, everybody can learn from everybody, which is awesome. And if you don't want to, that's totally okay too. Some people are more private about their stuff and that's all right. Um, so the topic this week is going to be rider's cues and how that applies to your horse's basics. And I think this is really important. I'll be working out a chapter two in the TLC book and... um and some of you got it in an e- email PDF, so you can follow along. And some of you have my book in in um in hand, so you can look there. Um. The thing with drills and stuff that I have you do, it's not so much about the pattern of the drill as much as it is the communication with the horse, knowing what your rider's cues mean from form to function with your horse and how that applies to their basics and their performance. And that's what I want to get into today. But before I do that, I'm going to go ahead and answer a few questions that came in this past week. And let's go ahead and get to that. Let's see here. Uh, One question was, I keep seeing myself hit a barrel. And I'm really nervous about this weekend. Okay, so mental game is 50%. Once you're out there and you're done with your training and you're competing, 50% of it's going to be your mental game. And if you already are seeing negative things in your head, you've lost the barrel race before you got home. You might as well go to the beach and have a margarita. So, um, you don't want to go to the barrel race with a negative attitude. So this is where it's really important that you learn the KISS theory. Keep it simple, silly. You have to trust your teamwork and your preparation. You have to understand that your horse doesn't want to go out there and hit a barrel. So if you've ruled out that your horse isn't sore, And that you know, in your slow work, you can pick up their nose and pick up their shoulder and soften their rib and you can do perfect circles at a walk, trot and lope. You can walk and trot and slow lope a perfect drill or barrel pattern and their focus and they'll go to their spots for you that you know where to look and what your cues mean to your horse. You should be thinking about hitting a barrel. You should be thinking about how you two are a team and that it's not that hard to ride to your spots because you've been practicing and you've developed teamwork with your horse. So anytime you have a negative in your mind, and I don't care what it is, if you have any negative come into your brain, maybe you see yourself slipping on the ground because someone else did, or maybe you see yourself go by a barrel because you your horse has not been raiding, Um, warm up accordingly, do a circle and a woe and a roll back, get the woe, rack them up back circles, back straight lines, get some loose rein woe working on your horse during the week. Um, If they're anticipating, do some drills that get them to go around a barrel, like all lefts, all rights, or the D pattern, instead of cutting you off or big circle, little circle, single barrel. Um, You know, practice walking the pattern, just walking or sit jogging the pattern and knowing that you can, rate straight and pick up your horse's nose and shoulder and ride their hindquarters to spot one, two, and three, and that they'll ride all the way around the barrel without anticipating. Work on riding looking deep, straighter, longer up into the hole or at the fence line, riding square. Prepare yourself. So anytime you have a negative, turn it into a positive, say, no, I trust my horse. I can do this. Anytime you see a negative, say I can do this. I can ride to my spots. My horse will listen to my leg. My horse will go where I look. And I've told people about putting some weight in your outside stirrup. And that kind of scares people sometimes when I say weight in your outside stirrup. And then, you know, um, Ride two hands because they're like, well, shoot, if my horse goes out from under me. Remember, rate and turn are two different cues. You can still have some weight in your outside stirrup when you sit and go to the horn and lock yourself down and keep your hand forward so that if your horse goes to turn, you are still sitting in the middle of your horse and you are locked down on your saddle horn. So you just have a little weight on your outside hip and stirrup. You're not leaning and you're not out of center or balance. It's just very minimal but it's because most riders don't even realize they're looking down their horse's neck and having weight on the inside stirrup, and that's why they're hitting barrels. So I want you to make a mental note as you're riding which ear you're looking at. Are you looking between your horse's ears or at the inside ear or the outside ear? Are you looking down the neck or between the ears? Are you looking at the outside of the neck? Are you having... uh, weight in your outside stirrup or your inside stirrup are equal in the middle of them. You know, So it's just to make people more aware and those kind of things will help you understand how not to hit a barrel. So you can think positively that you and your horse are a good team, you're in sync, and you can absolutely put them where you want, when you want, at all speeds. So remember, mental game is important. Don't overthink it. Um, Just think about riding to your spots and being in the moment. In competition, it's important when you warm up, you see the pattern, know where you're going to ride, and just visualize how you're going to come in the alleyway, how you're going to ride to your arc, your spot one, spot two, spot three, next spot one, spot two, spot three, next spot one, spot two, spot three, and then home. And just see yourself doing that with your horse. You may have to be in the moment as far as when you get up, when you sit down, all of those things, but there's absolutely no reason why. Um, You should let yourself see negative things and don't overthink it. That's where you get yourself in trouble and start riding mechanical. And again, you lose the barrel race before you ever go down the alleyway. So it's important to learn to do those breathing exercises, which we talk about a lot in my podcast and the group, and we've done them as mindset challenges, taking deep breaths, meditating, thinking positive thoughts, seeing a, a smooth smoothest fast run in your head and um, riding to your spots. So I hope that's helpful. The next question is why gate a horse uh, in the alleyway before you run or after you run? And that's a really good question. Um, And they asked, what is gating? So I put a post on that in the um, group so you can see photos and all of that, videos of how to gate a horse. So if you don't know, there are videos and pictures in the group to look at. But gating a horse is so important. It uh, keeps a horse calm. It teaches them that the alleyway is not just the adrenaline, high adrenaline launch pad, but it can also be a place of rest and pet and give a cookie or get off and loosen a cinch. It's a place that you can relax for a cool down it's also a place to walk up in there and settle before you run because let's face it the first barrel is your money barrel and if your horse is on the muscle and not relaxed you're going to have a horse that's not on the thinking side of their brain but on the flight side of their brain and that's never going to make a good thing when you go to that first barrel to turn it properly so you do want them relaxed so some horses you have to know your horse. Some horses do better with a little bit of gating. Some don't need gating, but their novice year, I highly recommend gating. Um, As they become an open horse, you kind of figure out how much gating they need or if they need gating at all. But definitely after your run, um, you know, remember if you do go in there on a drag, get out of the way before they're done with the final barrel, smoothing out the pin so you don't hold up the barrel race, have good um, barrel racing etiquette. But Be the sixth person in every time after the fifth horse runs and they're coming running home from the alleyway. This way your horse will think they're up and then as you walk in the alleyway, the tractors will turn on and the horse can eventually identify with that possibly. But the idea is more so that they hear the horse running out of the alleyway and then you're heading to the alleyway and they're thinking, "Uh uh-oh, we're up. And then you go in there and sit and relax and pet them. That's called gating, that's called scoring and it teaches a horse to stay calm and it will avoid having alleyway issues down the road so um, you can also after you get done with your run go back in on your drag or the falling drag and mentally cool your horse out too by hand walking them and get off in the alleyway Um, or after you know or you can just ride them down cool and then go back in the alleyway and loosen the cinch whichever way you prefer Um, again it just is a good way to go in the arena again, hop off on the alleyway, loosen that cinch and let them know, hey, good job. So again, if you're running multiple horses, that's kind of hard to do. If you're only having one horse, that's a good time to take advantage of that. Okay. Had to get drink water. Sorry. Next question. Uh, how do I know if I'm ready to do WPRA? Well, it just really depends on how deep your pockets are. If you're on a pretty tight budget, you want to kind of wait until you're clocking in the 1D and 2D consistently in your MBHA district or possibly at super shows, because if you're winning money in the 1D or 2D at a district show or a super show, then you're going to be able to probably pull, pull a check in the WPA circuit. Um, now, you can do divisional tours first. That's just a WPRA. PRA approved jackpot or barrel race where if you place in the 1D you'll add money to your permit to fill your permit you have to pay so much money when you join as a permit holder then once you win I think it's a thousand dollars unless they've changed the rules it's been a while for me Um, And then then you can purchase your card the following year. The permit holders are only allowed to enter certain things. There's some rodeos that are only for card holders. And of course, WPRA, you have to enter on certain dates. There's opening and closings for each rodeo. Um, You can request performance, but often permit holders will get thrown in slack. Um, There are rules with buddy and with other people and all of that, but every once in a while, you'll get lucky and get a performance if that's what you want. But in the first year, slack is usually better because here's the thing if you start going to open rodeos the entry fees are cheaper and you can see how your horse handles slack versus performance and then you'll kind of know if your horse can handle rodeo ground rodeo atmosphere a lot more adversity for rodeo horses in super show you don't get the primo ground you have to deal with side acts and other events like roping and bulls and and such. So a horse has to be a little bit more chill about environment uh, to handle rodeo. And they have to know how to stand up in ground that's maybe not deep all the time. Sometimes you're running on hard ground or slick ground or muddy ground. It's not always like perfect super show ground. So um, that's why a lot of your tough pro girls just do super shows and not rodeo after a while because they don't want to hurt their horses, you know? So again, you kind of have to know your horse and what they do well on. Um, so, but if you do want to do WPRA and you want to know you're ready, that's what I would recommend. Um, if you can place at an open rodeo or win an open rodeo, if you can get one D or 2D money at your district MBHA shows or a super show, then you would definitely be ready it may take a whole year of seasoning your horse um, to the rodeo environment. I've Unfortunately, me, I'd only make it to maybe five pro rodeos in a year just because I've always had to work so hard with training horses and lessons and clinics and such. Um, and I never had deep pockets. My budget was pretty tight. So I would only make it to maybe five rodeos a year. So, But a lot of girls, if they're seasoning their horse for their rookie year or permit year they'll hit 20 to 30 rodeos in a season just try to fill their permit that year so it just depends on how hard you want to go at it Um, but if you're clocking 3d or 4d it's really a waste of your money um, because you're not going to get a check WPRA is you know, basically 1D. It's like an open barrel race. If you aren't in the 1D, you're not going to get a check. I've rarely, and I've hauled, you know, Colorado, Georgia, Florida, and I've never seen a barrel race where they went out on average, usually three tenths at the most, a half a second. And that's if somebody just blew the doors off everybody else. So, so usually you're got to be within, you know, a half a second of the fastest time. So if you're slower than that, you're just going to be donating, but it's totally up to you what what you want to do. Um, you know, some people just like to say they do pro rodeo, so they go. Other people want to give it a try and then realize how expensive it is and how hard it is to get a check. Um, they have a lot of entries and they're tough. It's like running against the best of the best. And so it it's very hard. It's not easy for Sure. And it also takes a special kind of horse that likes being able to show up. Remember, there's no exhibitions. There's no getting in the arena in advance. Occasionally, they might have an open riding or a mandatory grand entry, um, but usually you don't. You can gate your horse, but that's it. There's no getting them in the pen in advance. So um, they don't let you practice. You know, in the pen, they once they stake it and set it up, it's pretty much no one allowed in there till till it's time for the performance or the slack. And that's it. So those are things you have to consider too. Is your horse good their first run? Do they need to see the pin? Because that's not always gonna happen for you. Um, You know, and also just how they handle that kind of environment. So the next question was, order of how you should train your horse for barrel racing. Uh, First and foremost, horse's foundation has to come first. Um, you've got to make sure on the ground you have a solid connection, Um, your horse's basics in the saddle are amazing, you have body control of all five body parts, you can do their face left, right, and down, you can bend the neck if you need to, you can straighten the neck if you need to, Um, you can move the shoulders in or out for counter bending or lateral flexing, you can Soften the rib cage out if you need to. You can put the hip in or out if you need to. So uh, once you have control of the head, neck, shoulder, ribs, and hip, that will get you cues of communication with your horse and that'll start connecting to their brain which then connects to their hoof placement and you start to have a horse that has balance and they start doing more you start doing less in the beginning of your horse's foundation you might do 80% and they do 20% then eventually it's 60-40 and then one glorious day a couple two three years down the road you're finally 50-50 team and um and you gotta figure if you're training your own horse one year for basics and then one year for teaching them the pattern and seasoning them, you know, for exhibitions and maybe entering. Um, so I usually spend two years before I enter a horse personally, because I want them to come out prepared and ready to be on the higher end one D two D versus 40. Um, but you know, some people rush it and they want to get into the competition pin sooner. So, um, So anyways, those are all things to consider when you're doing it. Um, Let's see here. The next thing would be um, to teach the barrels slow and correct. Don't get in a hurry. Um, If you don't know how to pattern your own horse, have a coach. Take lessons. Go to a clinic. Read a book. Watch videos. Um, You know, uh, put your horse in training and take lessons with your horse. Whatever you need to do. But it should be foundation dry work, drills, and then barrels. If you can lope all of my TLC barrels, um, drills, and dry work, if you can walk, trot, and lope all my drills, then you know you're ready for the barrel pattern. If you can't lope the D pattern, if you can't lope single barrel, you have no business loping the barrel pattern yet. So those are all things to consider. So the next question was about saddles and saddle pads, how to know if you're putting them on correctly. I posted in the group some videos on that as well. And I like to put my pad on and kind of rock it a little bit and let it kind of fall into the groove. I like a contour pad oftentimes because it'll fit nicely with the withers in the back and and just sits on the back real nice. Um, And then I throw my saddle on. I make sure it's even with the pad left, right, front, and back as nice as even as I can. Um, If you ride a treed saddle, you can make a tent with your pad under your saddle horn. If you ride a treeless, you can still kind of put a couple fingers under there just to make sure it's not cricket or pinching. But then what I like to do is rock it backwards. I'll hold the front and the back of the saddle and just rock it real gently um, until it slides. Some people do it from the saddle horn. Uh, It's whatever is comfortable for you. And then I let the saddle kind of fall into where it sits comfortably on my horse. I don't want it too far over the withers or the shoulders because then I feel like I'm riding on my horse's neck when I get on and horses don't like it either. And though some of them will buck if your saddle's too far forward, not to mention it hurts the shoulder when you're running to be over that too much. So, another good way to tell is to pull your cinch up and there should be about two fingers when your horse is standing square in the front end, there should be about two fingers from your cinch to their shoulder. And that will tell you if your if it's bunched up, if your cinch is really close to their shoulder, then you probably need to slide it back a, a tad. Um, the next thing also that's important is knowing how to, um, knowing how to uh, get your cinch on correctly. I like to do an in increments. I tighten it just enough where it barely touches a horse. The buckle underneath that you would hook a martingale tie down or breast collar to would not be uh, centered yet. And then I'd walk my horse a little bit and tighten it a little bit more now, enough to either lunge them or to get on. And then after I walk or trot five or 10 minutes, I'll tighten it one more time. And that's how I tighten in three increments. So I don't make a horse cinchy. I don't make them want to bite or kick or, or pin their ears at me or set back. Worst case scenario on the trailer and hurt themselves, things like that. So, so those are all important. And I did put a video and photos in the group for that. Let's see the next question. Um, I'm not a very confident rider with my novice horse like I am with my open horse and I don't know what to do about it. And I work a full-time job and a lot of times it's dark when I get home, etc. Okay, so the answer to that is um, if you don't feel comfortable on your horse, do not enter your novice horse. If you haven't been able to ride that horse three or four times during the week and you're going to haul your open horse on the weekend and you've pulled some long hours at work and you just couldn't get your novice horse ridden. Don't enter him, just ride him around, warm him up like you're going to, you know, lunge him if you have to, but ride him around, warm him up, get him rode, and then maybe you can do an exhibition slow. At least he got, you know, the weekend rides in, even if he didn't get the weekend rides and he's still learning. The other option to that is find a trainer that can ride them for you during the week and you just pick him up and ride them on the weekends. At least he won't be fresh. He'll be tuned up and then you still have to bond with him. But at least you'll have a horse that's maybe a little bit more advanced and further along. Um, but I do I do think it's really hard for people who work full-time jobs away from home and, and to be able to... Um, to be able to go and, and you know, compete on the weekends, if you haven't ridden three times, you're not going to feel prepared, even on your open horses, and it's not fair to them. They could, you know, tear a tendon, uh, pull a muscle, you know, they'll be weekend warriors and out of shape too. It'd be no different than you going to run a marathon if you don't even uh, jog during the week, you know, it's just not going to be good deal. So, um, if you're not regularly exercising, so, so those are definitely things to consider, um, you know, but, but, uh, it is a tough situation. That's why, you know, I think people that work full time having, you know, one horse, Two horse max is probably ideal. Anything over that, you're really going to be working yourself pretty hard. Um, you may have to set up lights by the barn, even just if it's a, the size of a round pen, at least where you can lope some circles or something with your horse during the week. Work on bend and flex. You can even work one barrel and do lateral circles and counter bending and, you know, and do some extension and collection work. You know, that's something. Something's better than nothing. So, all right, so I'm going to get into rider's basics now. I honestly believe the most important part of succeeding at barrel racing is rider's basics. I know most of you have seen horses ridden bridleless on the internet or at clinics, and that wasn't accomplished overnight. Um, It's not the old way of kick to go and pull to woe. It took hours, months, years to completely understand How to cue a horse to get those kind of results where they're working off just their body, leg, energy without a bridle. And they have to really work from all of your body parts other than your hands. So these are things to consider when you're riding your horse. If you were to ride without a bridle, how would you communicate with your horse? Um, Fast speeds are only going to be your enemy and things will quickly fall apart if you do not know how to communicate with your horse effectively at slow speeds. So let us start with the five ways that you can communicate with your horse. Um, And we'll start at a standstill, a walk, and then it would be a trot, a lope, and so on. But you shouldn't go faster the next speed, until you can do the current speed 100% correct. So the five rider cues that you would use would be your eyes, your mouth, your body, your legs, and your hands. And at times, you may use all five, and other times you may just use one or two. Um, And you'll be controlling those five body parts I talked about earlier of the horse, the head, the neck, the shoulder, the rib cage, and the hind end there'll be times again like i mentioned um you'll you'll use m- one more than the other and you know and how quickly you use it and release it that matters timing and feel matters and that's probably one of the hardest things to teach but let's talk about your eyes first where you look is where you go and many of you know if you look at a barrel you're going to hit a barrel um you know, it's important that you, when you're riding a circle, that you're looking a quarter turn ahead because if you're looking a quarter turn ahead in a big circle or even turning a barrel in a small circle, your shoulders and hips will go with you. A horse can fill a fly, land on them, they can certainly fill your face turn, your shoulder and hip turn. So looking a quarter turn ahead in a circle is important. In straight lines, it's important to look between your horse's ears two or three strides ahead. Um, And that's why straight or longer is important for those of you. You have a focused eye and you have a peripheral vision. So right now I ask you to look straight ahead at something and focus on one item straight in front of you. And notice while you're looking at that item, you can still see items to the side of you. That's called peripheral vision. So when you're running barrels, that's why I tell you to look straighter longer. So look three to four feet or three to five feet next to the barrel and past the barrel. So that way you ride straighter longer. You can separate rate and turn. You can sit before the barrel and then your peripheral vision will feel when the barrel gets next to your leg and then you can give the turn cue of your shoulder and hip. But meanwhile, you're looking straight, your shoulders and hips are square, your hands are even, your legs are even, you're saying straight, straight, straight. Okay, I'm gonna sit for rate, so rate, but don't turn. Rate and turn are two different cues. And yes, even on a push horse, you can separate rate and turn, and you should, and you should do that in your practice. So that's really important. Um, I can't express how important eyes are. Um, I'm a voiceful person, so I use my voice with my horses a lot, and that comes down to mouth. I'll say, good job, or easy. I'll say, quit, if they're being bad. I take deep breaths and make sure I'm exhaling through my mouth. Um, You know, I'll cluck for going faster. I'll kiss, you know, for going faster. Um, Those things are all very important to me. I talk to my horses. Um, My horses know woe on the ground means no no pressure, I'll just be lunging them and I'll change my body a little bit and say, whoa, they'll stop and face me. So that way when I get in the saddle at a walk, trot, or lope, I can do a loose rein whoa, just by changing my body, taking my legs off, exhaling, sitting deep in the saddle, and saying the word whoa, I don't have to back it up with my hands. And the reason why that's important to me is when I'm running to a barrel and I sit down and say, whoa, my horses know to rate, to collect, to slow down, And then when I say here, they know it's time to turn a barrel. And when I smooch on the backside, they know it's time to drive out of the turn. So voice is important to me as well. Body's really important. Body's probably the most important thing. 80% of your communication should be with your eyes and your body. Um, 18% with your legs and 2% with your hands. So body, there's three cues, basically. You have your neutral cue where you sit up, shoulders, hips, and heels are even. Your back is straight. That's your neutral cue saying, I'm happy with the speed that we're going and I don't need to go faster. But if I wanted to go faster, I could let myself roll up on my inner thighs and let my shoulders get slightly in front of my hips. That might be what I do hustling out of a barrel turn when I pull up on the horn or running home from the alleyway, I mean from the third barrel to the alleyway. Um, And then the most important is your woe or your rate when you sit down. When you sit down, you let your shoulders and your rib cage fall into your hips and sit on your pockets. And that will tell your horse to rate. As you exhale and you sit down on your pockets and your shoulders and ribs fall into your hips, your horse is going to feel that difference of sit up and sit down. And that's enough to tell them to rate and slow down. So, or to woe, if you take your legs off as well. So how do I teach the difference between rate and woe? The difference is putting your leg on or off. If I just want to rate, I will sit with my leg on. If I want to woe, I will sit with my leg off. So that makes a difference there. So that's pretty simple. Three basic cues, you know, um, you can back it up by pushing against your saddle horn with the palm of your hand in your turns that will help you really lock down for your rate going in or around your barrel. And then you can pull up with your fingers on your horn to help you get up and leave a turn with power with your horse. Um, the next thing is uh legs. There's really three leg cues and maybe a fourth that I would use, but three main ones. Um, Inside leg by the front cinch, control shoulder and rib outside leg by the back cinch controls hip and then I'll also use scissor legs and scissor legs is a combination of inside leg front cinch outside leg back cinch I'll use that if I'm looking to get a lead departure or if I'm trying to get shoulder and ribs out and keep hip in and I always use give and take pressure I always use from my calf first and then my foot and I'll use my spur last um so that would be the most important thing um so that's scissor legs. So those are my three positions. Um, I would use inside leg by the back cinch. If I wanted to disengage a hind, the hip or the hind quarter, I would use inso- outside leg by the front cinch to square a horse up, leaving the barrels to straighten their shoulders. Um, and then of course there's the scissor legs, like I mentioned. Uh, and a, a hand and leg should always be used together. So so that's important. And using give and take pressure. Don't If you have spurs on, don't just jab them with your spur. Take them off. If you can't use your leg before your foot, then you need to take those spurs off. Um, it should be calf, foot, and then the spur. And a spur shouldn't be kicking as much as it should be just a push or a roll but not a kick with spurs. Um, if you feel like you can't control yourself, you better wrap those things in vet wrap or electric tape when you compete or pull them off. I prefer sidewinders um, to rile spurs personally. And then of course there's those little English spurs with just the bumpers on them too. So um, So realize, you know, if you have a horse that's twitching their tail or bucking, you might be using your spurs and not even realizing it. So you should probably take them off if you're not experienced enough to use them. Um, I watched a lady once have her horse bleeding on his side. She was kicking him with the spurs, just loping circles and wasn't even aware she was doing it. So, you know, some people shouldn't have spurs on. Um, so keep that in mind as well. So those are your three main cues for your leg. Um, you should never be holding on with your knees. Your knees should be open. When people say heels down, toes in, I agree with that to a a point. It's not easy to do toes in. It's uncomfortable. So for our event, um, if you keep your heels even, you know, um, like when I go into a barrel, I always use my inside leg. So my foot is tucked in so I won't kick over a barrel, but it's also telling my horse to keep their shoulder and ribs out of the turn. Um, so that's good. But as far as just basic riding, I like the ball of my foot and the stirrup. I don't really try to push my heels down as much as I want my feet level, Um, A little heels down is great if you're being relaxed, but you know, I, I definitely want them level though. I don't want my heels up where I'm holding on with my knees or my thighs. Now, mind you, if you have arthritis or you have pain, like I do in my hip, you won't even realize you're doing it sometimes just because you can't stretch your hips out or your thighs out like before. So I'd highly recommend, um, stretching before you get on yoga, Pilates, Um, just plain old, you know, stretching and walking and things that keep you athletic and, and loose will help your riding as well, um, to keep those hips and legs, um, From being too tight and able to keep your heels flat or down. So that's important as well. And then the next one is hands. Hands is a big deal. Um, First, you have to look at your rein length. I love to ride in split reins for training because I can make them long where I have um, 12 inches between my rein hands when I'm trying to work independently direct rein maybe left rein to go left and right rein to go right or just face flexing it's important to me to be able to do that with my horse so that's something I think about a lot um when I'm when I'm doing that with my horse so I want very much so to um be able to know that I can make my reins longer or shorter in my training. Because when we lope or we post-trot, our reins are going to get longer than when we're just walking. So um, the next thing I like is my competition reins to just barely touch my horn of my saddle when their chin strap or bit is engaged. And um, of course, a horse's head out of their neck, you know how their neck comes out of their shoulders their head if they're high-headed you might need it even shorter than that but um but you don't want your reins to go behind your horn because then you're going to have too long a reins when you're loping or going around the barrel and you don't want your hands to move very much so speaking of hands there's probably six cues that I have um I always think of thumbs up pinkies down and I always think of riding in a six inch box in front of my saddle horn so if I want a go cue, I'm going to have my thumbs up, two hands on the rein, and extend my hands forward um, to where I've almost got my elbows locked. And that is my go cue. I may have my elbows slightly softened if I want my horses to be in a neutral cue and come back of that six-inch box about three inches into that box, Okay. And then if I need to rate or woe, I'm going to come back to the back of that six inch box and bump my horse with two hands if I need to, or just bring my hands back when I sit down. When I sit up, my hands can extend three to six inches forward. When I sit down, my hands will come back three to six inches. And um, if I don't get the reaction I want when I get up and sit down, then I may also flex my hand. So my hand may go up and back an inch. The, the hand that I'm wanting more nose or shoulder on, or if I want more rate, I may do a two-hand check or a one-hand check. Two hands going to put them on their butt better. And if you need to balance your horse between your hands, running between the barrels, two hands on the reins in the middle of their neck is best. So that's the best way to balance your horse going across the pen and keep them balanced until you get into your turn. If you drop your hand and drop your shoulder, your horse will also drop in on the turn for you they will drop their shoulder as well so keep that in mind so I'm going to take a quick uh, one minute break to do something and I'll be right back okay so I want to thank my sponsors thank you for that one minute break there I want to thank my sponsors doTERRA essential oils I love Essential, uh, essential oils. I use them every day. Uh, breathe for respiratory, balance for grounding, uh, digest in whenever my puppies or ponies look like they have a tummy thing going on. Um, there's just so many. I use the lemon and the orange in my uh, cleaning the house or in my drinking water. i um, Golly, there's probably at least five oils I use per day. Uh, The Deep Blue for soothing. I use it for the horses after a hard workout, for myself, for sore muscles and aches and pains, arthritis, etc. So anyways, doTERRA has awesome vitamins too, minerals, omegas. They have really nice products. They're all uh, very uh, well tested. So you don't have to worry about adulterated things in there. Um, You're getting pure... Uh, oils that have been harvested correctly and tested thoroughly. So I just trust the company and that's why I use them. Dynamite Specialty Products is one of my favorites. It is um, a company that is actually one of the few mills in the United States. It's certified as a organic holistic mill and they have feed as well as dog, cat, llama, you name it, human products, I do take um, their products, they've got quite a few things, I love their green drink every day to get my vitamins and minerals for energy, and it has mushrooms and all that stuff in it, so it's like getting your veggies in a cup, which I really like, some people like protein in a cup, I like my veggies in a cup, so it's my favorite green drink to have one a day, keeps the doctor away. And for the horses, I love the free choice minerals and salts. There's four of them. You put them in their stall or shelter. They eat what they want when they want. So when the hay changes, the weather, the grass, the seasons, um, their stress level, you might see them go after the two to one or one to one calcium phosphorus versus going after the, um, (laughs) the salts like the pink natural salt or the black enzymes with all of the Uh, is mine with all of the electrolytes in there. So I also love the probiotic. My horses get that daily. So I feel like their gut's healthy and that makes for a strong immune system. I don't feed a lot of feed. I give them maybe a cup just so I can give them their daily vitamin mineral um, that's chelated amino acids that is called dynamite. I give them that. They also have a TNT product which has a free and easy joint supplement supplement and the vitamin all-in-one for the barrel racer who wants to have their amino acids and their joint supplement for easy feeding in one cup a day pelleted form. That's really nice as well. Uh, Dyna Spark is a really nice organic blackstrap molasses electrolyte liquid that you can give to them um, as well. Miracle Clay for ulcer prevention and treatment um, is calcium bentonite and they just have so many amazing products. So anyhow, just wanted to let you know uh, those are TLC sponsors that I use personally. And if you need them, reach out to me. I can get them shipped to you direct, wholesale, and you can just pay me via one of the cash apps, PayPal, etc. So, all right, back to hand position. Um, there's six hand cues I like to be in. You have the neutral where you're holding both reins. And they're about never higher than your horn, never lower than your withers, okay? And then you want to be able to have them in a neutral position when you're sitting up and you're happy at the speed you're going. And then you would have a go cue where you extend your arms with both of those hands, okay? If you have a lazy horse, you may even flex from the go cue or flex them from the neutral cue. And that's where you just kind of tuck your pinky under or bring your hand up and back An inch or just up an inch, depending if you have a lazy horse or a free runner. Now, if I'm working on collection rate, my hands are going to come back closer to the saddle horn. Never behind the horn, right in front of the horn. Never lower than the wither. There are some places you don't ever want to go. You don't want to go chest high. You don't want to cross your withers. You don't want to pull out to your thigh or over the barrel. Out to the side. You don't want to plow Plow raining or pull into your thigh Makes a horse stiff and front endy. Uh, crossing your withers slows them down and causes them to dump in on you harder yeah. on that front end. Lose forward motion. Um, so, And it's also pinching of the face. You want a nice even flow from the bridle to your hand to your elbow. And it should be one nice straight line. You shouldn't have a, a big change in that area. Um, So anyhow, everything should be done with give and take pressure. I always like a body and leg cue to back up a hand cue. I like to think of whispering with my hands and talking with my body and my legs. So so those are your three main cues. You have a go cue, a neutral cue, and a woe or rate cue. And then you can add those flex cues. Lateral flexion will come from the go or neutral position. Vertical flexion will come from the woe position. So if you need a horse that needs more woe, your hand's going to be back in the woe or rate area, and then you're going to come back and up an inch with that as well. So those are your main cues for your hands. Um, If you need to get a horse that's just not collecting and you need collection and lateral bend, that would be the fifth way to do it. You would be sitting deep and do a two-hand check and a one-hand check, two-hand check and a one-hand check. And you would probably alternate every eighth of a turn in your slow work and circles to two hands with your seat and one hand with your hand and leg. And that will go vertical, lateral, vertical, lateral. You can also do that on pole bending. You can do vertical where you're next to the pole to square them up and lateral when you wanna weave between the poles. So that helps for pole bending. Um, So you have those main things. Like I mentioned, you have lateral flex from neutral, lateral flex from forward, and then uh, lateral flex with vertical collection. And then you have those three cues. So those are your six main things. Um, It is important that you pay attention, like for backing. Some people just pull on the reins, but it should be more than that. It should be um, using your body, your voice, And your hands are like a wall. They're not pulling, but they make contact so they don't go forward. But your seat and then your alternating feet, left foot, right foot, for each step your horse takes will help them come back. So your hands are kind of given taking like a wall that has a little flexibility to it. Your body and your voice and your alternating feet is what gets your impulsion and your backing. If you just want vertical flexion at a standstill of your horse's face, you would only use your hands. Your legs would be off and you would say, whoa and use two-hand pressure until they give. Start with pinkies, ask slow, increase pressure until you know two finger, three finger, four finger, to maybe have to bring your elbows back an inch. Um, and then when they give, release quickly and reward and build off of that. When you're walking and asking, or trotting and asking for vertical, you want four things to happen. You need to now not only use your hands, but also your seat and your legs, and you're looking for the horse to not only break in the pole, but to shorten their stride, shift their weight to their hind quarters and lift their top line. And of course, that's not gonna happen the first time you try. In the beginning, if you can only get one inch of their face to flex vertically for one second and release and build off that, you can. And then slowly in time, you'll start to add more once they understand it in the pole or vertically face flex, then you can start saying, okay, slow your feet down, shorten your stride. Okay, now shift your weight to your hindquarters, and then let me fill your top line round up, and then I'll release that pressure. And so you go from one second to five to 10 to 20 seconds, and then eventually, you know, maybe you're riding 20 or 30 seconds into the vertical frame. You know, a dressage horse can do it for an hour, but if a barrel horse does it for 20 to 30 seconds, we've got that collection we need for rate going into a turn. So those are things to consider. Um, balance is extremely important for a rider. If you're balancing on the reins, you need to do more core exercises and learn to balance on your horse from beneath your belly button, independent of your hands and your legs. It comes from your core, your stomach strength, your, your seat. And, um, that's the main thing. So, um, pay attention to that as well. Your seat should never be slapping the saddle. If you have air between you and your saddle and you're not posting, you need to work on your balance, maybe riding without stirrups um, in the saddle or with a bareback pad, whatever you feel most safe. Uh, Learn to sit back more, tilt your tailbone under you more in the beginning. Soften your ribs and your shoulders into your hips and sit back a little bit more. You don't really want your shoulders behind you as much as you just want to be sitting on your pockets and tucking your seat under a little bit more. Um, But you should not be running and turning fast on the barrel pattern if you lack balance in the saddle. Some people use Miracle Seats um, because they have limitations in their body or age and muscle. But Pilates, yoga, a combination of strength training, flexibility training, and aerobics is all really important to be your best. Um, when I was going all the time, I was really fit. I'd ride six to eight horses five days a week and compete on three on the weekend. So I was really fit. Now that I don't do that, I'm going to have to add more stuff to get back in shape. Walking, stretching, all of that with a bad hip limits my ability to get certain things done, but you have to learn to work where you're at. and um, so if you're not in shape, Start finding ways to get yourself in shape because balance is key to have good hands and good rider cues. So I can't finish talking about that without mentioning how important it is that you have balance as a rider. Um, And you shouldn't be going fast until you do. Sometimes people buy horses that are too fast for them and the horse will learn to have bad habits because the rider lacks poor equestrian skills such as balance and good hands. Um, you want to be told you're a rider that doesn't get in a horse's way, that you have soft hands and a good seat. Those are all compliments that you're looking forward to as a rider. So that's going to kind of close up on rider cues for today. And I will talk a little bit about more about horses basics and foundation next week's Q&A. Um, as I close, I want to talk about um, mental game quickly before we go into the weekend. There's 10 important things that you need to remember. You may want to write these down. If you have my Record Keeper Barrel Racing Journal, you can get it on Amazon. There, It's in the first or second page of it, Mentally Preparing for Competition. Mental toughness, to me, is when success... Um, Success is when preparation meets opportunity. So if you prepare and then you go, you will succeed. Um, If you don't go, you can't win. If you don't prepare, you won't win. So success is when preparation meets opportunity. Remember that. Number one, set realistic goals. Don't set expectations so high on yourself, like I have to win money or I have to win today, because you won't ride as well. You'll be better off to think of two goals like riding to your spots and using to your leg, using your legs. Number two, have confidence in yourself and your horse. Instead of being reactive if something goes wrong in your warm-up um, or in the alleyway. Change it into a positive and just start thinking about riding to your spots, breathing, talking to your horse, that kind of thing. Um, Trust the training that you did. Trust your warm up. Trust yourself and go for smooth, you know, and just smooth as fast. That's really important to remember. Confidence comes the more time you spend with your horse, the more often you go and do it. You'll get more confident because you'll start to say, okay, this is what I need to work on. This is what's going well and you build off of that. Number three, ignore the outside stuff. Don't worry about who's there, the time to beat. Don't let it because it's a bigger show with more entries ex, ex, um, get in your head. Don't let it bother you. Just be proactive, stay in the moment, and be focused on your job, what you need to get done with your horse. Okay, um, that's really important too. Number four, if you have Issues in your personal life, it can certainly affect your competition. But remember, you love doing this. You're passionate about it. You dream about it. You eat, sleep, breathe it. So when you go to the barrel race, block it all out. It's it's your fun time. It's your joy. Don't let anything take that from you. Number five, overthinking. When you overthink, you guys, you ride mechanical. You're going to be stiff and you're going to be reactive. You're going to have tension in your mind and your body, and your horse can feel that and. The same. It's best to be relaxed, trust your training and your game plan and let it happen. Be in the moment and just ride to your spots. Remember to take those deep breaths before your run. You've already visualized a smooth run. Take some deep breaths, clear your mind, breathe in and out slowly as you walk to the alleyway and just focus on one or two things like riding to your spots and maybe soft hands or you know whatever is important to you. Okay, Um, but don't think about more than one or two things because you'll ride mechanically. Um, Number six, worrying about the outcome. Um, People sometimes get in their head. They need to get points or they um, are worried about winning money uh, or trying to beat your last time. Maybe you were 1D last time, so you want to be 1D this time. All those things, the outcome is going to affect your riding. Just focus on your run running your race and you'll do fine. That's be- that's best. You can't control anything else because what if someone runs the fastest time of their life and beats everybody by 3 tenths? You can't control that. All you can do is just ride your horse and run your run. And ju- that's really important. Number 7, have your game plan. In order to execute your best run, you have to have a game plan. That's where you prepare during the week. Talk to your coach. Know what your strengths are. Know where you need to improve on weaknesses. Know what the um, ground condition is, where the stakes and the markers are, timers and such. Have a game plan how your horse should work in that pin, how you're going to warm up, um, you know, the alleyway, the, uh, the arena, et cetera. Number eight, psyching yourself out. Don't compare yourself to others. Don't try to run like someone else. Trust the run you've developed for you and your horse. Set realistic goals, okay? Just one, one small thing is a win. If you do one little thing right, that's a win, and you build off of it. If you have mistakes, you learn from them, and you fix them the next time. That's what during the week is for. You compete, and then you go back to the drawing board during the week and, and build off of that. We're never perfect, but we're always striving for improvement, you know, and that's what we're looking to do. Number... um Nine, worrying about what others think. Um, did I do number eight, psyching yourself out? Yeah, I already did that. Number nine, uh, worrying about what others think. Sometimes people worry about what others think about them. They want to be respected. They want to fit in. Um, even their haters, you know, they know someone they don't like is watching them. But it's not going to help you. It's going to add stress to your run. Block it out. It's your life. It's It's your life. You only get one, so make it count for you. You get one run, one life. So block all that stuff out and just follow your heart. And finally, number 10, the fear of failure. Uh, I think that's a big one. Sometimes the fear of losing or making making mistakes in your run can lead to tension in your mind and body. It's going to affect your attitude and your focus. You've got to learn to let go of trying to be perfect or the fear of losing And replace it with thoughts of confidence and just executing your goal for that day and that run. So I hope that's helpful. And thank you guys for listening. And as always, ride with heart. And God bless.